Good morning, church. Our scripture reading for today is Acts 9, 1 through 22. If you would like to use your pew Bible, the uh, page number is 917. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of God. Good morning, family. Oh, come on now. Man, it is so good to be here. So many familiar faces. I can even see them behind the masks. And y'all, I got to say, those last two songs, um, I, I was raised in the South, 
And y'all, I felt like I was in a hoedown. I was so, I was having a good time. Man, 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 man. Uh, Sister Leslie, thanks so much. Where'd she go? She she's, was right there. Um, thanks for reading that scripture, Sister Leslie. Uh, like Mark said, my name is Garrett, and um, my wife and I and our kids, we serve with E3 partners among least reached people groups. And time fails me to give you a, a robust update right now, um, but please, please feel free to come and let me turn this uh, flashlight off. I don't need that one. Just need the timer. Um, yeah, time fails me right now to give a robust update, but uh, afterward, if you come see me, I would love to talk specifics about what we're doing, about our timeline. Man, I'm, I'm also very grateful to preach the word to you this morning, uh, so let's just go ahead and, and jump right into the word of God. So when our, when our brother Luke uh, begins the book of Acts, he explains to his readers uh, that in his, his first book, the gospel account in his name he deals with all that Jesus began to do and teach, right? Acts, which is his second book, is therefore about all that Jesus continued to do and teach through the Holy Spirit and through his newborn church. This is a really important lens with which to view uh, the story of Acts because Jesus is still the central figure and the missional activity of God is, is on full display in true Trinitarian technicolor. By the time we get to Acts chapter 9, which we just read, a lot has happened. We don't just plop in right here. There's a lot that's happened up to this point. The risen Christ uh, has commissioned and sent out his disciples. Uh, he ascended to the Father. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and, and the church was born, um, the gospel was proclaimed, and, uh, and the disciples were given boldness, and, and they began to multiply all in and around Jerusalem. And then Stephen testifies to the lordship of Christ before an angry mob and, uh, and is stoned to death, and a, a violent wave of persecution, the first of many, uh, breaks out. And, and then that's whenever the disciples, they start fleeing all over the region. And it's at this point that we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus, uh, who approved of Stephen's killing in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now this persecution, it had unintended consequences uh, because all those, those who were scattered, what'd they do? They talked about Jesus everywhere they went. <laughs> And they even went to some non-Jewish places like, uh, like Samaria. And in chapter 8, we see Philip go and we see him baptize or share the gospel with an Ethiopian and baptize him there. And, um, and man, Philip reached a lot of Samaria. Uh, but that, thus we arrive at chapter 9 and the conversion of Saul. Now, Jesus is about to do something unthinkable here with someone unthinkable. And y'all, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, this is kind of something that we've come to expect with Jesus, right? One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 115. And it says, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. He is completely sovereign. He does what he wants. So first, let's talk about the some, something unthinkable. Um, Jesus is making some tactical maneuvers here in his mission, and he's, he's pivoting this gospel mission from a, a Jewish-focused one in and around Palestine, 
to one outside of Palestine um, that the Old Testament prophets and even Christ himself describes uh, in the book of Acts. And it will end up in the book of Acts going all the way to the very center of non-Jewish civilization, even Rome itself. I mean, really unthinkable to Jews at the time that, this, the, the, that God would be for the Gentiles. Second, the someone unthinkable. Jesus is going to meet this guy, Saul. This person, he's, like, he's maybe the least likely to follow Jesus, right? I mean, think about that, that person in your life that's like the least likely person to follow Jesus. And he's the least likely, let alone like the, the, the guy that's going to, to be the front man for his mission. I mean, so Acts says that he's breathing threats and murder. Not just like he doesn't like God. He's breathing threats and murder against Christians. And, and Jesus is going to confront him, convert him, and then call him to execute this mission. But man, can you even imagine this encounter? I think if, you, if you've been reading the Bible for a little while, you, you, you read this and you kind of like just gloss over it. It's like, oh yeah, and then there was like a light and like he was blind and stuff. But guys, hang on. <laughs> Y'all, come on. The risen Christ confronts Saul on the road. Paul, Paul's got like an entourage with him too of dudes that are also probably breathing murder. And, and then like he, he, can, he confronts him, completely blinds him. Saul is led like this bad dude, right? Is led by the hand like a child to all the way to Damascus because he went to Damascus yet. So like, like a baby, he goes to Damascus and he's blind. And can you imagine Judas? Like Judas is probably in Saul's camp. Saul shows up blind to Judas's house and is like, hey, can this guy stay here for a little bit? Man, alive. And Saul won't even eat or drink for several days, Luke says. And then a believer named Ananias, evidently not very far from Judas's house in Damascus, has a vision in which Jesus calls him to come alongside of Saul in a very significant way. So significant that his, his name and this event are included in the scriptural account. Ananias comes, and this, y'all, this is kind of risky, right? Like, he, Ananias was pretty scared. He's like, hey, Jesus, are you sure? Are you positive? And he says, yeah, this guy is my chosen instrument. So Ananias, he counts the costs, and he goes. He prays over Saul. He lays his hands on him, and then he baptizes him. Now, this is where I want us to zero in. What do, what do we see here in the story? Um, you know, Brother John Seaton and, and, uh, and Brother Daniel Estrada, they, they shared um, some really beautiful thoughts on this passage on Friday and Saturday. Um, but I see something also very specific in here. Uh, here here's what we see in the story. I, I think that there are two calls that we see here. There's Saul's call, and then there's Ananias' call. Saul's call is the call to go there. Ananias' call is the call to go here. Furthermore, the, the life and ministry, as we continue to read about Paul and then we, we get through the book of Acts and into the epistles, we see that uh, the life and ministry of, of even the great apostolic missionary of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, was not that of a lone wolf but one in which he was accompanied, encouraged, and imitated by fellow saints. 
Let me explain. I hope I get this slideshow right. First, we're going to talk about the call to go there. And if you hear me emphasizing go, then you will be hearing correctly. Both calls are go calls. Saul's was the call to go there. At some time, not long after his conversion, uh, Jesus calls Saul, later Paul, to take the gospel to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. Uh, Jesus tells Ananias in verse 15, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. And did you know there's about a 13-year period between uh, Acts chapter 9 and Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14? Sometimes we turn the page and we're like, man, he got started quickly like a couple of weeks. Uh, it, was, it was 13 years. At this point, King Jesus has already mobilized his troops in, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now's the time, Acts chapter 9, now is the time where Jesus is going to march on the ends of the earth. This is where Paul comes in. In Acts 13, Paul would be sent out of the church at Antioch along with Barnabas, and they would do a couple of things. They would go, they would proclaim the gospel, they would make disciples, they would gather churches and raise up leaders. And these, they would do these several simple things over and over and over again as they worked throughout the empire, among the Jew first and then the Gentile nations. You see, Paul's call was the call to go there. Remember the Great Commission? Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, talks about the Great Commission probably every time he has a microphone. Um, and Danny Aiken calls uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 the final marching orders of King Jesus. And I don't know if you can tell yet with some of my language, but I'm a former military guy. So there are many, many military mantras still in store for you in the next few minutes. <laughs> but this image of King Jesus really resonates with me. These are those final marching orders. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not just on earth, not just in heaven. He has both. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. By the way, it's been said several times this weekend, but Jesus' language there, when he says all nations, he's not talking about the U.S. and Canada. He's talking about all peoples, every tribe and tongue and nation. And in Acts 1.8, right before he ascends back into heaven, Jesus elaborates, unless we were like, well, go there, maybe that means like here. Um, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and where? To the ends of the earth, yes, to the ends of the earth. This is the call to go there that Jesus gave then. He's issued down through the centuries, and he's still issuing today, because the job's not done. Why go there, though? 
I mean, Jesus commanded it, but maybe, I mean, maybe that's, maybe we need to think about this. Like, why, why do we go there? Isn't there enough need right here in our community? Aren't there enough lost people here? I want us to think about this for a minute. The gospel has been proclaimed here in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia, for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. There are, in, in, in our towns, in, in, in our country, there are so many faithful witnesses to Christ. Man, and praise God for that. Praise God for that. Praise God for the, for the, the Grace Baptist Church right here in Bowie. Praise God for the faithful church across the street here. You know, praise God for Capitol Hill Baptist downtown. Praise God for the many faithful witnesses to Christ. But family, that's just not the case in many parts of the world. That's why we, the people of God, the local church, Grace Baptist, that's why we still send out missionaries so that the final marching orders of King Jesus, the Great Commission, is obeyed until there's no place left that hasn't had the opportunity to respond to Jesus. I'm going to put up another slide here for you. There are 7.7 billion people in the world, approximately comprising about 12,000 distinct ethno-linguistic groups. And of those 12,000 distinct ethno-linguistic groups, 7,000 7, yeah, 7, are unreached. Unreached, according to missiologists, means that they're less than 2% Christian. So 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. And of those unreached people groups... About 3,000 of them aren't even engaged. That means that there's no one working among them. Not a one. One out of every three of these people groups and one out of every three unreached persons is in South Asia. So look at that map up there. Do you see a hot spot? You see a spot where maybe Jesus is not known and worshiped as Lord as he ought be. And by the way, the only, way, only reason this is white is because it's desert, y'all. There's, there's a billion, or almost two billion people here living on top of each other. But this, this right here, really unreached. Man, one out of every three right here on the Indian subcontinent. 1.7 billion people as it stands right now who will be born, live, and die without any true hope in this life or the next. My family, this, this, is, this is a situation that we cannot let remain. And the exciting truth is that we're not. We're not. The church has been aggressively and sacrificially obeying the Great Commission and we have seen a massive acceleration in the harvest just in our generation. God is still accomplishing his rescue mission, y'all. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 says he is the same. He's doing the same things he was doing back then. He's doing them now. He's still moving and healing and saving. This is true even, even in this past year. So I know it's, it's easy to look around and be like, man, 2020 was such a waste. 
2021 was just a little bit better. But the pandemic, you know, for all the destruction of COVID, it's only served as an accelerant for the Great Commission. Let me share a couple of numbers with you, and I'm not a numbers guy. I, I'm a little, you know, get a little leery about numbers. But uh, our, our the CEO of E3 shared this with me recently, and I thought I'd share them with you. In 2020 alone, in our networks, we saw 69 previously unengaged people groups reach, or engaged with the gospel. Not just like we high-fived them in the street, like they were engaged with the gospel. And, and we had almost a million professions of faith worldwide. Now, that's crazy. And that, that was during the pandemic. That was with masks on, sharing the gospel through masks. A million professions of faith worldwide. Grace Baptist Church is a church that raises up and sends out missionaries because you, because we care about the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and we care about these numbers right here. My family and I were proof of that. Like Mark shared, we, we were sent out of here in 2017 and we have been loved and supported in an unparalleled way by this church. But maybe you're here today and you are or, or you have been feeling this, this, um, this compulsion to go there, to go to the nations. If that's you, I would encourage you to not waste any time but to go talk to one of your elders, one of the pastors, and start exploring right now if maybe you are called and what that would mean. The stakes are high. We want to see the Lord Jesus return. Let's be about that work. We need all hands on deck. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we have been praying to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers to go. And you may be the answer to that prayer. The question remains, though, uh, what do we do when we get there? We're sent out. What do we do whenever we get there? Well, I've already hinted at it. And thankfully, I believe the New Testament gives us a clear model for this. Remember that in Acts 13 and 14, and if you go, if you have time today, I'd actually encourage you to read this so you can see this. Acts 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas are sent out. They went, they proclaimed the gospel, they, they made disciples, they gathered them into churches, and they raised up leaders who then repeated that process. Then they moved on, and they did that over and over and over again while staying in touch with those churches and their elders. And at E3 and in the International Mission Board and other places, we call this the core missionary task. The aspects of the core missionary task are entry, gospel proclamation, disciple making, church formation, and raising up leaders who do the same. We accomplish these core missionary tasks by training and equipping our national partners, local churches, local brothers and sisters, where they exist and where they don't exist because in many places we're going zero to one and that's what we do. We go zero to one. We teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. We for, as more people come to faith in Christ, we form a church. That local church raises up leaders and then we send them out so they can keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. 
And we train them using the scriptures and using simple and biblical and reproducible tools to engage their neighbors in the nations. And now that we've looked at, uh, at Paul's call to go there, we're going to look at Ananias' call to go here. Ananias wasn't called to leave Damascus, was he? He didn't leave Damascus as far as we know. Ananias was called to be obedient to go right where he was. But hear me, this is not a passive response. Jesus is calling for an act to go here. When I was newly in Christ, um, I, I came across a podcast of a guy named David Platt, um, who some of you may know, then pastor of, uh, of the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and he was talking about the Great Commission, which is pretty much all he talks about, and I love it. Um, Platt explained in the sermon that day that sometimes we think of Jesus' commands to go and make disciples as an either-or command, right? It's either, either here or there. And Jesus makes it clear in Acts 1.8 and in the vision of the end game in Revelation, he makes it clear that, that it's not either-or. On the contrary, the Great Commission is a both-and command. Both there and here. And let me put something before you today. The Great Commission is for every single disciple of Jesus. Every single one of us. In Acts 9, it was both for Ananias, who was probably scared out of his pants, and Saul, who was breathing threats and murder. If you're in Christ today, whether or not you're a gifted evangelist, whether or not you're a gifted speaker, um, whether or not you're a brand new believer, whether or not the soil of your relational networks is hard, you are called to go and proclaim the gospel and make disciples and bring them into the church. There is no follower of Jesus who's gotten a waiver for this. And guys, it's not a discouragement. That's not to, to browbeat you, but to encourage you that you have been called and empowered by the Holy Spirit inside of you to do what Jesus commanded you to do. If you have not received the call to go there, then just like Ananias, you have received the call to go right here. And gosh, I am so, I'm so grateful for the simplicity of the commands of Christ. I'm a real simple guy. I grew up in, in the, the country in North Carolina. I'm so glad that, that Jesus is, is, you know, doesn't make it super complicated for me or for us. Our missionary playbook is actually the same whether there or here or anywhere. Go, proclaim, make disciples, gather them together, and then leaders are raised up to do the same. I don't pretend that this isn't a heavy task. Okay, it's heavy, right? Because eternity hinges on it. But it's not a complicated one. You know, a minute ago I talked about how we we, try, we simplify and we, we share tools for people to be obedient to the commands of Christ. Guys, if you're anything like me, for a handful of years, I was in church. I've only been in Christ for about 10 years now. My wife and I came to Christ in 2010, but for several years, I was, I'd be compelled when I heard, hey, I hear from, from a pulpit like this, pray. 
And I'd be like, oh, that's, I want to pray. How do I do that? How do I do that? And all right, here, read your Bible. And I'd be thinking, how? But then much more so, I, I, was, I wanted to see people come to Christ just like me. And so when, when the, the pastor, the teacher would say, hey, share your story, share your testimony, share the gospel. I'd be like, that's, I want to do that. How? How do I do that? And I think in, in pews all across uh, America and across the world, oftentimes we're, we're getting taught, but we're, asking, we're not asking what or why, we're asking how. And so I'm going to share just a, a little tool with you for a moment. And this is something we call the 15-second testimony. And this is something where you can share your testimony in 15 seconds. Anybody been to business school and they talk about elevator speeches? Right? Yes, we got, we got one that knows about the elevator speech. Um. We live in a busy world, and sometimes gospel conversations are fleeting. And so here's, this is something you can do in 15 seconds with somebody. There's an intro. Let's see if I can get this going. There we go. An intro. There was a time in my life, two words of your life before Christ, two words about repentance and faith, and two words about your life in Christ, and then inviting them, do you have a story like that? Inviting them back into the conversation. So I'm going I'm to share mine with you. And there was a time in my life when I was arrogant and angry. But then I I heard the gospel and I turned and I trusted in Jesus. And now my life is marked with peace and purpose. Do you have a story like that? And see what they say. And after you've shared your story, now it's time to share Jesus' story. Has anybody seen this drawing before? Anybody? All right. Yeah, Naomi Tanya's just seen it. Praise the Lord. We're reaching all generations. And, and actually, I, I joke, but like, guys, these are tools that pe- like uneducated, illiterate people are using all over the world, and professors and scientists are using these too. Simple, biblical, reproducible. I'm going to share the gospel with you in two minutes. So I just want to tell you all the story of my God. So, I believe there is a God. In the beginning, this God, he created everything. He created people. He created the universe. And people were actually the crown of his creation. And there was a perfect relationship between us and God and between us and each other. But then we decided to do things on our own terms and we rebelled against God. And that broke our relationship with God and it brought brokenness into the world. And so all we got to do is turn on the TV today and we see that we live in a world of brokenness. We have just confusion about who we are as human beings. We have COVID. We have uh, massive uh, racial and sexual violence all across our country. It doesn't take uh, you know, a sociologist to see or a genius to see that we are living in brokenness. And some people, they try to get out of this brokenness in different ways. Some people, they try uh, drugs and alcohol. Some people try education and success and personal achievement. And still other people, they try religion. And they think, if I can just be a good person and do the right thing, then I can get out of this brokenness. But these are like bungee cords. They just snap us right back into this brokenness. And we call this brokenness sin. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God knew that this was going to happen. And he had a plan. And that plan was for him to come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And he lived that perfect life that we were meant to live. 
And then, unexpectedly, he died a rebel's death on a Roman cross, paying for our sin. And then three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that he was God and that he has power over death. And he said that if you will make me king of your life, if you will follow me and turn from your own way, then I'll make you a new creation and take you out of this brokenness. And we can recover and pursue God's original design. So let me ask you all today, are you in brokenness? Or are you a new creation? And if you are in brokenness, what's stopping you from trusting Jesus, making him king of your life, and becoming a new creation today? Let me just pause for a minute. I just shared two tools, and I would encourage you to go and to look these tools up, 15-second testimony and three circles gospel. There's all sorts of really great little short videos online for you to get reps in these. But I just want to pause on these tools for a second this is actually, it's not just tools, this, this is the gospel. This is good news for everyone. But if, if you're here and you're, you're actually in brokenness and you haven't turned and trusted in Jesus for yourself, maybe you're a part of a Christian family and, and you've just been doing the Christian things, that's what your family did. Or maybe you're here visiting and you've never put your, your faith in Christ I would encourage you that time is not guaranteed. Please turn and trust in Jesus today. Come see me or one of the pastors or pretty much anybody in here and just say, hey, I want to follow Jesus and see what happens. Um, We would be thrilled to share with you how to take that step of faith. Uh, And let let me encourage you to start sharing with these tools right away. Oftentimes, people, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to people about this and they'll say, I have a tool. And I'll say, okay. Or I don't need a tool. And then I'll say, okay, well, when's the last time you shared? And they'll be like, well, I can't remember the last time I shared. It's not that, it's, it's because like, if, if you don't practice and you don't have a tool, even if it's a, a verbal, like you have like a little, you know, a couple of sentences, that's your tool, uh, you're most likely not going to share. And it's not because you don't want to share. It's not a lack of desire, saints. It's because you're not prepared to share. Another military mantra is you train how you fight and you fight how you train. It's just as true when it comes to sharing the gospel and making disciples. You train how you fight, you fight how you train. In Acts 17, Paul tells his pagan audience, uh, he says this, and God made from, every, for from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Here in, in Bowie and in Crofton and Gambrels, there are so many people who are near to you, but far from God. They're, they're not near to another missionary. They're not near to your pastor. They're near to you. In God's grace, He's even brought the nations to your neighborhoods. Mark was talking just a minute ago in the, in the pastoral prayer, talking about Afghans who are coming here. Guys, you don't, go to, you don't have to go to Afghanistan. I mean, one of the largest Ahmadi Muslim communities in, outside of Pakistan is in Silver Spring. And guess what? A bunch of them live right here in Bowie. One, one, one person I know was running for, for council a couple years ago. And did you know that these, these 
uh, if Muddy Muslims are so, so open to gospel conversations? There are also mosques and gambrels in, in Bowie. And I forget, maybe I think it was Brother John Seaton was saying that there's like the, one of the largest mosques in North America is in Lanham. Have you visited the mosque? Have, have, have we reached out to, to the, the members of that Jamaat, that, that, that community? Man, there, there's Bosnian families and Albanian Muslim families. We, we, used to, we, we met one that used to live right down the street from where the Tanyuses used to live. Man, there, and that's not even to mention the countless family members and coworkers and friends and fellow students who are near to you but far from God. Now, who do you think that Christ has called to reach those people? Pastor Mark? Me? Brother Daniel Estrada over there in Malaga, Spain? Who's supposed to go to them? Dear ambassador of Christ, he is not far from them, like Paul says in Acts 17. He is not far from them because he has brought you, his ambassador, near to them. You don't even have to leave your neighborhood. You don't have to leave your neighborhood. All you have to do is maybe leave your home or your cubicle and maybe your comfort zone and walk across the street or walk next door and be prepared to talk about the hope that you have in Christ. And you need to trust, like I said a minute ago, trust that, that Jesus who commissioned you, is empowering you for this task. We're not ready for that one yet. We'll go back to three circles. So we talked about two calls, the call to go there and the call to go here. Awesome, okay. So the third thing we're going to be talking about is that there's one mission. There's two calls, but there's one mission. There's yet another saying in the military. We say, one team, one fight. One team, one fight. You know, there, there's several branches of the armed services and, uh, and all sorts of different jobs in the armed services. We have, you know, food services, and we have logistics and supply, and we have an engineering and intelligence, and, and then we also have all those, those jobs that are also involved in direct combat. Whatever a service member's job may be, he or she is ultimately in the fight because they're on the team. The same is true in the church of Jesus Christ and in the kingdom of God. We are one team, one fight, one mission. In fact, ours is the greatest mission that has ever been, and its end goal is the greatest and most awe-striking end imaginable, the glory of God through Christ Jesus to all nations for all eternity. The glory of God through Christ Jesus to all nations for all eternity. This is the whole story of the Bible as well. It's our, our whole purpose as a people. Uh, remember a few minutes ago, I, I referenced, I said that the, the mission was described by the Old Testament prophets and even Christ himself. I just want to take two minutes and do a, a brief survey from Genesis to Revelation and we'll see this mission of God. Now, don't be scared, okay? We'll do this in two minutes. Genesis 3.15. God promises right there at the fall 
that he's going to bring a son of man who will crush the serpent's head. Genesis 12, God singles out a guy named Abraham and tells him that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed. Psalm 22, 27 and 28, the psalmist says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. A couple hundred years later, the prophet Daniel shares this vision that he has in in Daniel 7, the vision of this king that the psalmist was referring to. And Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. He wasn't eviscerated. He was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. I love that passage. Habakkuk 2.14, Habakkuk the prophet says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Malachi 1.11, at the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi says, For the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, declares the Lord. And then Jesus shows up. Boom! He shows up. And he, does, he lives that perfect life that we were meant to live, dies a death that we should die, raises from the grave just like it was foretold according to the scriptures. Man. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And God in his grace gives John a vision of the end. In Revelation 7, and we see every color of people in all different languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb with palm branches in their hands. And what are they saying? Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. That's end game, y'all. That's end game. And that is the story of of our people. That is the story of of the Bible, the glory of God in Christ Jesus to all nations for all eternity. We are one team, one fight, one mission, and our victory is assured. We just got to obey. One team, one fight, one mission means that Saul needed Ananias as well. The ones called to go there need the ones that are called to go here. The relationship between the two is is meant to be this mutually edifying one. More than just a team, we're a family after all, aren't we? Or is that just something we say? Is it just a euphemism, just a metaphor? I don't don't think it is. Um, I I think that uh, this is something that is kind of lost or relativized in our individualistic cultural context. But it would seem that the the New Testament sees it quite literally. I mean... So I wrote this down. The words for brother or sister are used almost 200 times in the New Testament to describe Christians, and God is referred to our Father as our Father over 250 times, or about 250 times. We talk about body of Christ. We talk about being ambassadors. We talk about being soldiers of Christ. But all those comparisons, they, they, they don't even come close in terms of volume to, to the comparison of us as a family. We are first and foremost a family. That being said, for those who are called to go here, I would offer three ways uh, that you could be a good Ananias to your Pauls. Accompany, encourage, and imitate. Accompany. So 
Ananias came alongside of, of Paul or Saul. He told him what Jesus said, laid his hands on him, prayed for him, baptized him. You can, you can accompany missionaries in a number of ways. You can accompany missionaries by joining them in the field on short-term trips. I'm sure as travel picks up here, Lord willing, in 2021 and 2022, that short-term trips are going to be on the horizon again. I would encourage you to accompany missionaries on short-term trips. On these trips, you can catch a glimpse of what Jesus is doing um, in that field. You can join a long-term missionary in the harvest, learn about the people groups that, that Christ is claiming for himself, or even explore the possibility of whether Jesus is calling you to go there. This is a good song. Um, so, number one, accompany. Number two, encourage. Uh, I was I was touched by the letter writing exercise we that our exercise activity that we did the other night. Um, that was such a sweet gesture. But uh, but a phone call. I think Brother Daniel Strada mentioned a phone call yesterday. Guys, you can reach me in, in anywhere I am in the world with, with WhatsApp or Signal or FaceTime. I prefer Signal. Um, but encourage, but I mean, that, that, could just, that could mean um, uh, praying or fasting for, for your missionaries and the people they serve, writing little notes like we, we did the other night and giving financially to support the work. Grace has given so sacrificially to our family I am so grateful for you, brothers and sisters. So, so grateful. And I know my family is too. You have provided, you put food on our table, provided for medical needs, and, and facilitated the core missionary task in least reached parts of the world. So praise God for you, saints. Third is imitate. You might be like, I'm not imitating that dude. imitate. What I mean by that is you should do right here what you, the church, have sent us overseas to do. Remember, the Great Commission is the same here as it is there. The imperative to proclaim the gospel and and make disciples and gather them into the church is the same here as it is there. Whether you're an Ananias called to go here, or a Saul called to go there. We're in this together. We're in this together. Two calls. One mission, one team, one fight, one mission. Let us be about that mission as we leave this place and go out into a world in desperate need of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name in every nook and cranny of this world. In Bowie, Crofton, Gambles, in Prince George County, Anne Arundel County, the DMV, um, in the U.S., in, in Asia, Lord, in West Asia and South Asia, uh, Lord, among every unreached people group and unengaged people group, hallowed be your name. Lord Jesus, would you claim for yourself the peoples of this world? Lord, we, we have... We who dwell in brokenness, we've seen a great light. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for
for your life and your death and your resurrection. And like my brother pray, we are so grateful that that tomb is empty and you are, you are coming again to gather for yourself a people, Lord. But until that day comes, let us be about your work. Until that eastern sky opens up and, and you return in glory, let us be about your work. The stakes are high. You are worth it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.